Nobody's as fast as Racer X. Americans are accepting Japanese cultural exports as, as legitimate mainstream entertainment. Uh, it's getting so much recognition, people are aware that, hey, there is this thing called Japanese animation. Japanese cartoons sort of taking over the, the geek culture, really. Everybody loves Sailor Moon? I mean, I see people dressed up real, kind of like Star Wars-like. I, I guess they're doing the characters out of the comic books, I guess. What the hell are these people doing? <laughs> From that time onward, I guess there was a you know almost underground movement among the uh, anime fans that uh, you know we were going to help promote Japanese animation in America, whether the American entertainment industry uh, wants it or not. We date the first um, organized anime fan activity from May 1977, which was the first meeting of. Uh, the Cartoon Fantasy Organization, which was the first club to specialize in Japanese animation. And as an archivist, Fred understood the importance of organizing information. And to me, that's the great thing that the CFO did. It brought together a group of individuals who could organize material and organize information. And that made it possible for other people to tap into their resources. Okay. Um, can we rewind the clock a little bit back? I want to hear about the CFO. I want to hear about the Cartoon Fantasy Organization because uh, I was never really a part of it. I was always just kind of on the margins, sort of hearing about like you know the incredible bullshit coming out of there, and I never really understood it. I knew people who were like intermediaries saying like, "Hey man, here's a tape. Where'd you get it?" Oh, some guy in the CFO. But I don't know about the incredible gatekeeping, the scandals, the Me Too's. I don't. I don't know what it was like. But what was the CFO like for someone who uh, was you know born yesterday? I think it imploded before we got into any of the Me Too stuff. So that's a, that's a blessing, I think. It was common, though. No, um, when I first got, uh, so 1984, 83, 84, my brother and I were going to the Atlanta Fantasy Fair, which was the local uh, science fiction, comic book, Star Trek, gaming, you name it. It was, you know, a convention for it. And there were people there who were in the Florida chapter of the CFO. Uh, there's a woman named Wendy Densmore, uh, a woman named Vonda Perry, and uh, Barbara, no, sorry, Deidre, Deidre Messerschmidt. Uh, they got a room and they showed uh, uh, Loop on the Third Castle of Cagliostro, and they showed the Space Cobra movie. And I think they had Dagger of Kamui, which would have made it in 1985. Anyway, they had a bunch of zines from the CFO. And I'm like, I have to be in this club. Whatever club this is, I have to be in it. They had like the... You know, the, the great um, Kurt and Jane Black CFO magazines that were really nicely typeset, that had a lot of really good translations, really, uh, you know, just uh, terrific resource. And at the time, uh, I knew that I wanted to have an anime club in Atlanta. There was a guy named Scott Weikert that had the same idea. And there was a guy named Bill Spurlock who had moved to Atlanta from the Detroit area. And he had been part of an anime club in Detroit. I think they were a CFO chapter. So we were all sort of bouncing around going well we have to have an anime club and we all got we all got together and said oh well obviously we have to make we it has to be a cfo chapter this is just how things are done like we had no idea like we just couldn't walk walk in and do it ourselves you know so we wrote off 
I want to say at the time you could be a CFO chapter just as long as you were an official member and you said, I sponsor this chapter. You were, you were officially a CFO chapter. Were there membership dues? Didn't you have to give them like um, your social security number and your credit card or something like that? $10 a year. 10 bucks a year. That's like cheaper than sea monkeys, isn't it? Oh, it's super cheap. Super. And yet at the time it was like this $10. Come on. (laughs) But then to get access to tapes, I mean, wasn't that like a whole nother, like kind of like, you know, demolition derby kind of, you know, sort of danger course. When when I got into the CFO, I never, uh, the people I contacted to swap tapes with, it wasn't an official CFO authorized tape swap deal. It was like, well, write this guy. He might be able to trade with you or write this guy over here or write these people. And sometimes you would send people, you know, you'd send them an SASE saying, hey, do you want to swap tapes? You'd never hear anything back. Or other times you would find someone who would become a lifelong friend, you know. Oh, well, I'm just going to say we started a chapter. We had monthly meetings. Some of our local members were national members, but most people are like, we don't care. We're just going to show up once a month. We're going to swap tapes with each other. We're going to do the daisy chaining of VCRs. We would show things at conventions. It was just sort of a a handy hook to uh, hang our fandom onto being a CFO chapter, you know? Like to me, there's a point where like uh, trying to procure drugs and trying to procure anime kind of cross over where like you have to meet a dude and like trade something, make a deal. Like like it's the Mr. Show sketch where you have to listen to his shitty jam band tapes, you know, or you have to like, God, we got to sit here and watch all of Tekaman Blade before he'll let us, you know, copy this laser disc, you know. Do you miss the good old days of tape trading at all? I, I kind of do, but really I don't. Because right now you can get, I can get more. Like I could never get like Twinkle Rock Me Nora, right? It's like, that just didn't exist. Now I can get it. I can download that thing. Parents always tell us, you have no idea how easy you have it off from when I had it. And that adage has gone on into the anime industry. It's very true. I have a tendency to, to, to get sort of old and crotchety and say, well, in my day, we didn't have subtitled videos on the shelves of Blockbuster. We didn't have anime that's showing up on Cartoon Network. We didn't have the animation, the heavy interest in animation. It just wasn't there. It seems to be, I think, to people that maybe it's too easy now, that, you know, any old clueless 13-year-old can just wander into Suncoast and be walking out and now she's got all the hip anime gear. Don't know if you had any thoughts on, like, general anime convention scenes at the time, because it was before anime... Uh, got their own conventions, you had to share them with like, well, even back then, the early anime conventions to me felt like you were going onto the internet before the internet even existed. Like you didn't know that furries existed until you went to an anime con and saw fursuits and saw Fred Patton talking about them at a panel. Oh, I knew, I knew what furries were before, before that. Trust me on this. There was the spillover from the kind of Fory Ackerman style, like, you know, kind of kinky science fiction conventions and then having it been filtered through like the really autistic science fiction fan angle, then through like mass media, through like Star Trek. And then I don't know what you would call. I mean, the anime people were real outsiders, even in a fucking, you know, giant convention filled with outsiders. Oh, they couldn't stand us. They could not stand us. Like literally... Uh, we we were showing anime at our club table at a Dixie Trek convention in Atlanta, 
And there, there was a guy named Steve Saffel, I believe his name was, who was a marketing guy for Marvel Comics. And he was at Dixie Trek to premiere the X-Men cartoon that they had just been produced, which, of course, was animated by Toei. But he is standing there in front of us going, I hate Japanese cartoons. What is this shit? Get this, get this stuff out of here, you know? Uh, I think the editor of Malibu Comics called anime like that bug-eyed Jap shit. You know, and I, I quote, you know. Uh, Scott Rosenberg, I think that was that guy's name. He's still in. He's still doing something. You know, all these people had nothing but contempt for Japanese cartoons. They were like, you were talking uh, earlier about like indie rock and the Athens scene. The one way to make these people know you were totally not cool was to say anything about Japanese cartoons, unless it was like Legend of the Overfiend. That was it. Either it was ultra violent porn, or they didn't want to hear about it. But then at a certain point, I feel like. You know, like Matthew Sweet does like the girlfriend video and like, but you begin to see anime kind of like creep into this alternative nation, alternative culture of like the 90s. And I don't say it's cool. And it's not about to me, it was never about being cool, but it's sort of like, I guess you had like Akira and these things were like, you could no longer ignore that something was happening in Japan. Even if you didn't like it, it seemed leg- it had been legitimized to some degree. I think there was a, a generation like younger than us who grew up with, uh, you know, well, okay, I want to say it's Pokemon, but before Pokemon, like Sailor Moon, you know, they had seen this stuff from a very young age or even before that. Um, and they they didn't look at it as weird or, or, or screwy. They were like, no, no, this is just part of the landscape. And I think video games had a big, big thing to do with this. Like that aesthetic became much more accepted once it was i'm sitting down and playing this game four hours every day of my life obviously i like this stuff uh and you mean by this stuff you mean furries and fursuits and stuff like that well anime just the the big eye japanese cartoon culture (laughs) can we talk about fred Patton a little bit can we talk about i don't know if you had like close encounters or if you have any memories with a pioneering anime historian fred Patton. Frederick Walter Patton, born 1940, is known for his work as a historian in the science fiction, fantasy, anime, manga, and furry fandoms, where he has gained great distinction through a substantial contribution to both print and online, books, magazines, and other media. I'll tell you, um, Fred, I met Fred, and this goes into the CFO uh, dissolve, like, I don't want to say dissolving, it imploded. Um, what happened with the CFO was, it was a lot of work. Um, There's a guy in, in San Antonio, Texas named Randall Stuckey, and Randall uh, was a guy who liked to game the system to screw things up for everybody. If there was a fan club he could find out, oh, the zines aren't coming in fast enough. I'm going to complain about it to everybody I can. Maybe I can take over this fan club. So he felt that the CFO was not being run efficiently, that it should only be an organization for the actual dues-paying national members of the CFO. And he forced a vote so that um, like, you could only be a CFO chapter if you had a certain amount of actual national national club members in your local club and none of the local clubs fit this definition so overnight all these local clubs were officially no longer cfo and people just let him do this nobody 
tried to put a hit out on him or anything like well, that? Well, the, the people that had been, the people that had been doing the work in the CFO, uh, Kurt and Jane Black were doing the zine out of Florida. They were burnt out like crazy. Fred Patton was burnt out. He was not about, he didn't want to run a national club. He wanted to write articles and have a local meeting and swap tapes. You know, running a national club is a pain in the ass. Uh, I was like, I was actually the last secretary of the national CFO. And I'm like, look, if this is what the people want, okay, fine, whatever. You know, uh, because people didn't care. They did not want a national club. They wanted to get tapes. They could care less where those tapes came from. Yeah, and then the national club was not like you could get tapes from Joe Bob down the street. You didn't need to send off to the home office in Scottsdale, Arizona or whatever. Suddenly you wake up in the middle of the night and Fred Patton standing over your bed. Uh, I feel I feel really bad because he was a super nice guy. He was up against it uh, in terms of fan politics, which he didn't want any part of. Um, he we had him out to AWA. I want to say the year before he had his stroke, and that Sunday of AWA, I'm where I'm. You know, it's Sunday afternoon. Every things are kind of winding down. I'm going to go have dinner with my folks because I don't get to see my folks that often, and I'm standing there going. You know, should I invite Fred Patton to go have dinner with my folks? You know, there's there's room. My mom's cooking enough. We could be a nice evening. You could, you know, a lot of these, you know. And I didn't do it, and I feel bad. I, re- I feel really bad about it. I wish I had. But at the same time, it would have been kind of awkward. I, oh, I don't super, know. Super I mean, awkward. Super awkward, yeah. I mean, I, I hung out with Fred just at conventions. You know, we would just exchange pleasantries. But, I mean, like, he was a Vulcan. I mean, he he... If he had human emotions, he had repressed them for fear of like, you know, just like, I guess, beating the shit out of everyone. I feel I feel like I could have spurred him into a, a, a decent dinner conversation about, well, I went to Japan and I met this Osamu Tezuka guy that, you know, I got I, I'm not sure. Like my folks actually came to an AWA and I got to introduce them to Peter Fernandez which I'm like, hey, mom and dad, this is the guy that dubbed everything I watched as a kid. <laughs> All that stuff that was rotting my brain, he's responsible for it. This guy right here. Now, I remember Fred, maybe that was pre or, pre or after the stroke. I remember going to some convention in LA and he was like rolling around in his, um, or his rascal or whatever those motorized scooters are. And something he said later kind of... Uh, came to mind. I don't know if you said it before or after this, but uh, the, like fandom doesn't really take care of you. Like, oh, no. You can give, you can give everything to your fan club or your, the thing that you love. You can spend your whole life loving, uh, you know, um, star Wars. But like at the end of the day, you're left to die out in the cold. I don't, I don't know if we did right by Fred or in, in an era of GoFundMes. I don't know if uh, what we can do for people now. I don't know. I know that, like, didn't he have to pretty much get rid of everything? Because when you're on Medicare, um, you're only allowed X amount of of, uh, assets. I'm not sure what the rules are with that. American healthcare is a shit show, ladies and gentlemen. I just want to say that. No, uh, fandom doesn't come with, with a retirement plan. This stuff does not love you back, guys. Like, take care of yourself. Don't don't assume that you're going to be going to DoofusCon for the rest of your life and you're going to be 25 forever because you are not. But having been a part of, like, anime conventions, primarily at, like, at AWA for, like, you know, like three decades or however long it's been, I mean, you've seen several waves come and go and see things change. And I don't know what that was like uh, 
if there were any kind of like major landmarks. I mean, there's a point where there's like an anime, North American anime industry begins to kind of come out of fan, you know, kind of tape trading culture. And then that turns into, I don't, I don't know, the internet begins to change things a lot. And then, uh, I don't know, all these goddamn cosplayers show up with their memes and crap like that. And then these darn kids. All these kids with their hair and their clothes, as we used to say. In the early years, in the early 90s, when the anime con started up, it was predominantly male around college age. But as time went on, I noticed that the demographics have shifted from being male-dominated to being almost a 50-50 male-female ratio. You have girls now coming into the fandom. You got mom and dad coming into fandom. You have people getting married who had grown up and have this, this similar interest, and they're coming to the con, and they're bringing their babies. I went to several conventions where they've had mom, dad, and the kids, all of them having, having an interest, all of them having badges. You can meet the woman of your dreams at a convention now. No, the kids are, I mean, the kids are the only thing keeping the money coming into this, this, the, whatever, if you can call it an industry. Um, and I guess you can, I mean, Crunchyroll is doing okay. Like there's a lot of outfits that seem to be, of course, they've all been, I believe they've all been bought out by multinational media conglomerates. Uh, last I checked, I'm not really sure who owns what. I mean, there's a few, there's a few indies out there still. Like I think, uh, Section 23, those guys are still... Yeah, like the ADV guys, All they all came out of, you know, tape trading fan subbers, you know? Like, that came straight out of fandom. Hell, Antarctic Press is still publishing comics. Now, you've been doing stuff at the, at the uh, conventions for, like, years, like Anime Hell, like, kind of putting together these, like, kind of, like, live show presentations of zany stuff, and, like... Do those work like with different generations? Do they react to like, let's all go to the lobby intermission time any differently than they did 30 years ago? All I know is I continue to fill the main events room at two of the largest conventions in North America. Like Anime North is the largest convention of any kind in Canada. And I fill the main events room. I get more people than the costume contest in that room. And I don't know why. I honestly, well, I do know why. It's because I think people like seeing zany short clips and they like not knowing what they're going to get. So much of what we're, we, we experience right now in terms of pop culture is, you know, you're, you're warned a movie is going to come out. You, there's advertising for this movie. The movie comes out, you see the movie, and then it's time for the next wave of, of uh, PR for the next property that's coming out. Whereas something like anime hell is, the flyer is inexplicable. Um, no one, like, I don't tell people what I'm going to show ahead of time. They might know what I'm going to show. And then again, they might not. You know, I, I think people enjoy that. People enjoy being surprised. I think, like, there's a certain moment in convention history that's captured in this documentary uh, called Otaku Unite, uh, which I, I, it came out around the early 2000s, directed by Eric Bressler, who has since gone on to become, like, a pretty important dude in, like, the Philadelphia kind of film and art scene. Eric's Eric's super cool. Uh, but the, the film is, you know, maybe not as awesome as it could have been. Um, but you're, you're one of the stars. You're, I think, I don't know if you're on the poster or anything. I don't know, but you can talk about the making of Otaku Unite, what that was like. There's a guy on staff at Anime North up here. And when I, when I came up here, I was on, you know, went to the staff meetings and he was like, you're in Otaku Unite. Well, I would like to thank everybody personally from the bottom of my heart I'm the guy that, that sits down um, 12 months before the show 
and thinks, well, this would be a good panel to do, or why don't we try to get so-and-so? And I have a vague, I have a vague influence on how things turn out. You know, the details are left up to everybody else. It's like setting up a giant dominoes, thing of dominoes, and then you get to knock them all down. You get to watch them all fall down. You set up these, this, this big event, and uh, you get to watch it happen. You get to plan things and watch it, watch it go. Anime weekend planned September 21st through the 23rd at the Sheridan Gateway Hotel, Georgia International Convention Center. Don't miss it. I, I, I can tell you, they showed up at the first Segoy Con in 2000 in, in Erlanger, Kentucky, near Cincinnati. And they were shooting, hey, we're shooting our documentary. And they that's where that scene of all of us in the hot tub. And we're all wearing our shirts because we don't want to show off our beer guts. Uh, we're all in the hot tub. That's where that comes from. And they asked, hey, you you run AWA. Can we come to AWA? And I'm like, sure, yeah. And we pretty much gave them like all access. And I don't know that, like, I feel they could have used a little more footage of like, here's the behind the scenes stuff. Here's, here's why we can't set up the dealer's room because the dealer's room coordinator is off getting a haircut and he's the only guy with the map of where all the tables are supposed to go. That kind of stuff would have been educational to see in a film. Yeah. There's kind of too much going on. There's like, I feel like half of the film is just fucking Kaiju big battle. They, they should have made their own Kaiju big battle film. Just let those guys have their own film. And then you do an anime because there's not a lot of crossover between the anime nerds and there is some, but, but they're doing their own thing. It's their own thing. you know. Uh, but I think the shining star who emerges um, out of Otaku Unite is, is Johnny Otaku. I go by the DJ name Johnny Otaku, um, hardest working anime fan in the Tennessee Valley and damn proud of it. Get up, stand up and grab everybody to the radio. It's 10 o'clock. Which means the 91 Rock Sushi Bar is now open. For the next 30 minutes, I will be playing you some of your favorite music from a lot of your favorite anime, such as Ramna, Tenchi, Sailor Moon, Dragon Ball Z, Gundam Wing, and many others. But of course, you know, my overall goal is to someday be an anime voice actor. Hi, this is Captain Porno Hair with the weather. Currently, it's 67 degrees outside. Look for partly cloudy skies clearing off today, tonight, and tomorrow. Well, Johnny Otaku, um, he's a guy. You see him in the movie. Otaku Unite is on YouTube. You can watch the whole thing. Uh, he's in the film. He really wants to be a voice actor. He staffs two or three conventions. He's um, hes not a bad guy. He's got this thousand-yard stare. Um <laughs> He kind of looks like Ray Dennis Steckler. He's, no, 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 He doesn't quite, uh, he's one of these guys. A lot of, you see a lot of people like this in, in anime fandom. He's, or fandom in general. He, he's, he's socially maladjusted. He doesn't quite know when he's being weird or creepy. And he's frequently weird and creepy. He got banned from every anime convention in Texas because he was weird and creepy to voice actors trying to like, you have to make me a voice actor. You know, he was bound and determined to become a voice actor. And, you know, like, there's not a lot of money in anime voice acting. I don't know why people are killing themselves trying to, trying to become anime voice actors. I mean, that's the only reason I moved to Japan, was to try to become an anime voice actor. That's why I'm here right now on a microphone. You, you want to be the, the, uh, the, guy, the token guy, Gene, who, who says, look out! 
I'm watching the new Japan Sinks on Netflix, and they have a they have a Gaijin character, and he's giving like the classic, like something's never changed. You still get a Gaijin to go, "Hey, I'm crazy. How are you? How are you? Oh, that's good. Take that's a good take. We're gonna go with that take. Thank you. Here's your, here's your money. Goodbye. How is that? How how is uh, how is Japan Sinks? Uh, the first three episodes are pretty good when it's like in survivalist mode, and then it, it's gone off the fucking rails. Uh, <laughs> um, but back to Johnny Otaku. Uh, he vanished. He's he's vanished, yeah. Oh, really? Because the last I heard, like he showed up at Funimation at, in Flower Mound, Texas, and is like demanded to be sat on the throne or something in, like that. I want to say know. 2007, 2008, he moved out to Texas. And that's when he's like, I'm moving here because this is where it is all happening. And um, it did not happen for him. And I do not know where he is now. I hope he's I hope he's doing something else with his life. Yeah, I wish him well. I don't wish him. I wish him. But he's, yeah, he's yeah, kind yeah. of the star like, of the show. Yeah, and it's really it's it's cringy because you see like there are people that have made their own edits of Otaku Unite where, where it's it's all Johnny Otaku all the time. And it's like guys come on man it's like he's not chris chan you know it's like he didn't ask for this yeah i mean he's definitely the bad guy but i think he's a more complicated complex figure there's way way worse guys way worse people in anime fandom i didn't know how to tap into that with you and just sort of say like the horror stories the sorrow the pity i think we've had a couple conversations before where we just focused on con insanity and how at a certain point it's not really about like you drop your kids off on the weekend and they're going to go in the dealer's room and they're going to sit in a, in a screening room, but actually they're going to, you know, just like lay on the floor and roll around in like vodka and pizza crusts <laughs> with a bunch of strangers. When nerds party, it's, it's, it's pretty brutal, dude. It's brutal in my noodle. My brother and I got dropped off. This was the Atlanta, our experience at the Atlanta fantasy fair. They would drop us off in downtown Atlanta in like 1985, back before it had been cleaned up, so it was still pretty sketchy down there. Like, so, you you know, the, the Sid and Marty Croft world of Sid and Marty Croft was in the Omni, right? Well, that lasted, that theme park lasted for about 15 minutes, and it closed. Yeah, it, it was like, bam, it's gone. And it was a ghost town. It was it was where you went to get mugged. So, of course, this is where you want to hold your, your sci-fi nerd convention. Is that like the Muggaloos? It's a Muggaloos, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, give me your money. Um, but we never got mugged. You know, it's like you get in, you check into your room. Uh, you don't leave the, the convention facility until Sunday when mom shows up to pick you up. You know, that's it. You're like off the grid, basically. Then there's like con parties and there's predators and there's furries and there's uh, fan subbers. Fan, oh, you know, sometimes, you know, honestly, I never knew a fan subber to be both a fan subber and a predator. I'm sure they're out there. No, the Predators wanted the, like, I mean, seriously, we're talking about Ed Kramer, who ran Dragon Con for, until he got busted for being a Predator. Um, and Dragon Con is, you know, one of the largest conventions in North America, you know, if not the largest, you know. I felt, the last time I went to Anime Expo, I think was like 2013, and I just kind of felt like I was in an, an enormous kind of like, a, just daycare for sort of like uh, teenagers, because they had like their giant gaming room. Everyone's sitting at tables playing magic and like, it just, I don't know where the Japanese animation was or the Japanese culture was. It was, it had kind of left the building kind of like Elvis in a way. Anime quote unquote anime became 
uh, this catchphrase, this youth culture catchphrase you could sort of smear onto your product to sell it to kids, right? Or to teenagers. That made it cool, like hookups. You know, put an anime character on your skateboard, boom, you sold it. You know, put an anime character on your Nickelback cover, boom, you sold it. Put an anime character on your temporary tattoo. You know, this is real 2008 uh, anime boom thinking right here. But I mean, that's that's what sold it, right? That's what that's what took media play down. I mean, is everybody uh, put all their money into the idea that we are going to be able to import a lot of the shittiest cartoons? Japan ever made, uh, put them onto DVD and sell them to people. And there's going to be an endless market for the shittiest cartoons ever made. And it turns out there's not. Turns out uh, people actually do want to watch Space Battleship Yamato. Yamato! 